Hey Dragons, welcome back to episode 43 of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. This episode is with New York Times best-selling author Gail Carriger. She is the author of the Parasol Protectorate series as well as the Custard Protocol series. Um, a series of books that ranges from young adult to adult in the steampunk genre. I had so much fun talking to Gail. She is an incredible woman, an incredible author, and I learned that all of her audiobooks, or some of her audiobooks, are narrated by Moira Quirk, which, um, for the uh, similarly aged, was the referee on Nickelodeon Guts, and I appropriately lost my composure when she mentioned this, because I grew up watching Moira Quirk. Um, so yeah, so enjoy today's episode, and on a little bit of a somber note, I wanted to extend my sincerest condolences to the family and friends of Carrie Fisher. Um, I found out, I'm recording this intro, um, Tuesday, December 27th, and I found out earlier today that Carrie Fisher passed away. And while I am a huge fan of Carrie Fisher, and I am absolutely feeling the loss of this celebrity, this one has hit me more than um, some others this year. I'm still aware of the fact that to me, she was an artist that I loved and appreciated. And what I am feeling in no way compares to what her family and friends are feeling. So my my sincerest heartfelt condolences go out to them. Um, and I hope they are taking care of themselves in this time. But... Um, if you are feeling this loss, um, like I am, I hope I can give you a little bit of a hiatus from that and you can enjoy the next hour that I spend with Gail because this was one of the most fun, uplifting, amazing conversations. And it is a reminder, we do talk a lot in the podcast, that a a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. So if you do have a plan, if there is something that you want to accomplish, if there is something you want to do, take that step, do it now, make it happen, and work out nerd out, y'all. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye. In the basement rolling dice, rolling dice. I'm a wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker, fighting dragons in my mind, in my mind. Just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am your host, Kenny Rotter. Today, I am joined by steampunk author Gail Carriger. 
which I'm super glad that I asked how to pronounce that. <laughs> but Gail, how are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm really excited to be talking to you. This is going to be fun. I'm excited too. We discussed a little bit earlier that I was a little bit unfamiliar with your genre. You were a little bit unfamiliar with mine. <laughs> so we're both super excited to be learning about each other today. Yeah, we're sort of frantically dog paddling, hopefully, <laughs> in each other's direction. <laughs> yes, and that, let's let's be honest, that is a great way to go through life, is constantly learning something new. Absolutely. And ex- new experiences, and you never know whether you're going to love something or not. That's always been my attitude, certainly with food. Agreed. Absolutely <laughs> Agreed. Uh, in fact, I went to my favorite restaurant today, and I had the same old thing. And at the start of this conversation, I'm wishing I would have gotten something different. <laughs> what I do is order the same thing and then make whoever I'm with order something else <laughs> pick off their plate. <laughs> I don't think we're alone in this. But before we get to know you a little bit, this has spawned a question in my brain. Already? Already, yes. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh, well, I just got back from Singapore, and that was the first time I've uh, ever been to Singapore, and I ate and did and met a lot of people I've never met before. I didn't eat the people. I ate the things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was the first time I've ever been to an Asian country. It's the first time I've ever been that close to the equator, so it was a the longest flight I've ever taken. It's a lot of firsts for me. Um, Yeah. Although on a more intimate level, I just went to Thanksgiving for the first time without one of my friends with me, which was, uh, which is, I usually take reinforcements to Thanksgiving and I didn't this time. So, uh, so that was a first, different kinds of firsts, I suppose. No, that, that is excellent. And I think. What about you? What was the last time you did something for the first time? Um, I recently went to my first volunteer effort for my neighborhood city council. Ooh, getting political. I am getting super involved. I, (laughs) I have volunteered, um, to, to volunteer from my local representative from my district in the, in the U.S. house. I'm volunteering with my city council. I, wow. Um, I want to make sure that my community and the people I interact with know that they have an ally and that it is a safe and accepting environment for all people of any belief and any creed. So that was my first. And how did it go? Um... Um, <laughs> everybody was extremely well-intentioned. Uh, I want to focus a little less on discussion and a little bit more on action. Uh, I am one of those people that believe a good plan today is better than a great plan never. <laughs> you, uh, 
this might say something about you or it might say something about me, but you are reminding me of my time in academia <laughs> when uh, I was a, an archaeologist, which means in the United States, at least, I was part of the anthropology department. And there was always a conflict of interest between the cultural anthropologists and the archaeologists because there's always a lot of cultural anthropologists and they like to talk a lot about how they feel about things. And the archaeologists like to make spreadsheets and then do stuff. And <laughs> Is a, is a real difference of personality, shall we say. Uh, and it can be quite a struggle for the spreadsheet Lee inclined. <laughs> oh, no, I'm absolutely with you. I actually, I worked in government for a while um, right after grad school, and I was on a committee to to just implement some changes, and it took us 18 months to do the smallest change because... We had to discuss everything, then we had to vote on everything, and then people were upset with how the vote turned out, so there needed to be more discussion, whereas I'm in the background going, we've already voted. Let's just do it. it like, move on, focus on what we got to focus on, like, a good plan today is better than a great plan never. I think the actual saying is a good plan today is better than a great plan tomorrow, but I often feel like those great plans never get implemented. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the devil's in the details, not to use a cliche, but there it is. So all too often. No, and absolutely. But sometimes it's, I, I just feel sometimes it's better to learn by doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Cause I am, I am a, I'm so risk averse. I, I got into um, self-publishing quite recently and basically took myself hybrid, but I took a whole year off being traditionally published in order to do that. And I had researched how to do it for two years previous. <laughs> you should see my Evernotes and my spreadsheets and everything. I was like, okay, okay, if I'm going to do this, <laughs> I have to have so many like contingency plans and Gantt charts and I Although I will admit that it does like delay matters. Like I should have done it three years ago, but instead it, it just happened this last year. But that's, that's just, yeah. Like well, I said, it's, I suppose it's a matter of personality. No, I, I agree with you. And I want to say that the, the other saying that I try to live by is, uh, proper planning prevents poor performance. <laughs> so yeah, you spent two years researching this. But then you made a decision. Yeah. You, you didn't spend two years, make a decision, and then spend another year reevaluating that decision before you implemented it. It's true. And this way I can react faster on the ground now. Like, so, like, the moment I decided to do it, I immediately pushed out, like, I recovered a bunch of short stories and I pushed out two novellas and it allowed me to, like, take advantage of the fact that I'm I'm, I got invited to San Diego Comic-Con this year, this upcoming year, and I can push a book to publication and time it to drop for San Diego Comic-Con because I've now done it a couple of times and I have all of the like steps in place and I have all of my checklists ready to go. So uh, on the other hand, it, the, you, you're right. Like to be – if you are really well prepared, then you can totally take advantage of it. Absolutely. And the thing was – um, in, in the example I brought up earlier, we were all really well prepared. We had 
the data in front of us, we had made the decision, but everybody was scared to implement that decision. Uh, uh, well, well, that's like there's – I mean we're immediately – we immediately got into this discussion, which I, I don't know where it's going, but it, it's kind of exciting. That's like the um, – there's, there's like a basic human condition, um, which – Oh, the term eludes me, but it's similar to tragedy of the commons, which is a different, it's a different kind of thing where, um, as a rule, as a group, we're unwilling to just stick our necks out. You know, um, one person is usual, like, to step forward and, you know, take responsibility because then if it, everything does go horribly, horribly wrong, then you're the one who messed up and you have to take responsibility. (laughs) So. Um, and so people are prone to sort of just kind of a little a stasis and, you know, risk aversion and chatting about it for a while before, without actually taking the risk. So it sometimes it, the personality, like it, your kind of personality does you in good stead because you're willing to be like, okay, we're, we're just going to do it. And if no one else is, I'll do it. <laughs> well, you can all follow. <laughs> and, and I think as humans – we over exaggerate the consequences in our mind, especially the negative ones. Absolutely. Oh, especially the negative ones. Whereas I've been like, um, in the last month I've been very into volunteering and making my community, like I was saying, a better place. And I just, I just told people, I was like, I don't know what the right direction is. But I'm going to take a step this way, and if it's great, and if it works, I'm going to take another step. If it turns out it's the wrong direction, I'll change course. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great attitude. And, yeah, that's – I mean, that's why I started this podcast is because I wanted people to understand that failure does not mean defeat, and failure is not a bad thing. Sometimes, in fact, it's incredibly necessary. I mean, I like to uh, when I'm when I'm teaching classes or talking to newer authors. I always like to say, or or newer artists or anything. I always like to say, imagine yourself in seventh grade or sixth grade, and the piece of writing or the piece of art that you were really proud of, and then taking that public and attempting to sell it. Like, think about that now <laughs> from a from a backwards perspective and how embarrassed you would be (laughs) now to have had that out there. So the people who told you at the time that it probably wasn't good enough or that you really needed to fix your grammar or that your sentence structures were great or that you maybe needed a better handle on perspective, um, you needed that. You needed that knockdown (laughs) in order to get better um, so that, so that you can, you know, put yourself out there on, on more stable ground in the future. So yeah, I think, Failure or disappointment or rejection um, is is really necessary, and learning to strive above it and push through it and improve yourself as a result of that is in- invaluable. Like, oh. like the the fear of failure is almost like I think you should embrace it. <laughs> you know, there's the the story about famous authors like Madeline L. Engel who papered their whole office walls with rejection letters. And you're just like, just go for it. Just keep trying. Oh yeah. No. And it's, it's like, I think this will come out as episode 43 or 44 of the podcast. Like if you look back at episode 
one or two as compared to this episode, it's going, there's going to be such a variance, but I wouldn't get to this level if I hadn't gone through that level. Absolutely. And there's also those moments when you look back and you you think, oh, I bet that was really awful. And then you'll go back and listen to it or you'll think about that or those earlier and you'll, and you'll be like, oh, wait a second. Wasn't that bad, actually. <laughs> it really wasn't that bad. Um, it's it's all good. And And that's the other thing is I think a lot of fear of failure is predicated on – Either those few nasty comments or reviews or whatever that you're inevitably going to get no matter what. Um, but by and large, I've found that people are a lot more kind <laughs> to you than you're ever going to be to yourself. Oh, yeah. We are we are all our own worst critics. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, so we- I think that part of that fear of failure is kind of wrapped up in that. Oh, Absolutely. And we have been just chatting for about 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and, and we don't know you yet. So Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's definitely, it's definitely it was a joint <laughs> effort. Um, but tell everybody out there a little bit about yourself um, and what you have going on. All right. Uh, well, I'm an author. I have, I guess, about 15 or so books out at this juncture. I've been doing this for about nine or 10 years. I've sort of lost track. I'm getting to that absent-minded state <laughs> of my adulthood. Um, perhaps it just isn't, it's just not as meaningful <laughs> to me anymore to remember precise details. Um, let's see. I got, I got a, a dozen or so uh, New York Times bestsellers under my belt. I write a pretty, Romantic and comedically bent stuff, but it, it's mostly steampunk, although I, I go off uh, a little bit from that. Um, yeah, and it's sort of – some of it's really on, more on the adventure steampunk end of the spectrum. Some of it's a lot more like a cozy mystery. I kind of go all over the place within the steampunk genre, um, although I do tend to tend to keep it pretty light and cheerful. Um, I, I like to write things that will make people smile primarily. I want – I want to entertain and, and leave people really happy. So that's my, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a manga, which was a gr- really fun experience. I have a, essentially a graphic novel out there and I guess that's it. I, I used to be an archeologist. We've already got there. Yeah. <laughs> so had a career switch 10 years ago. Um, do you have an ongoing book series? I do. Um, I suppose it's a little bit more like, uh, like a verse. So I have something which uh, the fans and now I have just decided to call the parasol verse because my first series was five books called the parasol protectorate series. And so, uh, but now there are a bunch of other series in it. It's a little bit like um, say the, the Pern books by Emma Caffrey or uh, Mercedes Lackey's Valdemar series or um, Leah and Miller's Layden universe. So there's, there's like a bunch of books. Some of them go together at one time in history, in the history of the universe. And some of them are at different times and some of them are standalone. So I kind of just play in a big old sandbox that I made for myself. So there's the Parasol Protectorate series, which is an adult uh, for adults. Although uh, it did, is read by young adults as well. And then I also wrote a young adult series called the finishing school series, which is about an all girls boarding school for assassins in again, in a, in a steampunk setting. 
And then the, my most recent one is called the Custard Protocol Series. And it's kind of a series of adventure capers with a whole um, whole team aboard a dirigible. Um, and then I have so, a bunch of standalone novellas that are that are all romances. Okay. Um, I am a big fan of the caper book. Me too. It's hard to write, though, man. I will tell you that. It is, it is real challenge. It's great on screen but real hard to write <laughs> See, i've tried to tell my friends that we need to get involved in more capers mm-hmm. and nobody what seems yeah, nobody seems to be on board with me oh you need a caper more caper orientated friends <laughs> I, right but it's like i feel that capers would be more socially acceptable like 40 or 50 years ago i feel like if we tried to pull a caper now we would end up with like five to ten years in prison well, you could make it a really ridiculous caper, you know, like, I don't know. See, me See, they have to come up with something totally absurd to do, like filling everybody's bathtubs in the neighborhood with balls of yarn or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, That's it had to be a pretty fun caper. <laughs> it has to be a very, like, weird caper. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, like, absurdity. It makes me very happy. Now, the, the, you know, I <laughs> – see, now that you're saying this, I want to put, like – like, we live in a gated community here. I want to try to get everyone's TVs to automatically turn on <laughs> Troll 2. Or have the AC units emit uh, bubbles. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. <laughs> on, the, on the first day of summer. Things like, you know, stuff like that. that that's, uh, I guess it's kind of in the prank arena. But if you if it requires a concerted effort of a team and planning and the aforementioned spreadsheets and Gantt charts and things, then I think it could be legitimately called a caper. Yeah. The, the last time I brought up capers with these people was... Uh... We were all in Las Vegas, and I mentioned capers, and they're like, we should rob a casino. And I'm like, first of all, no. we're not <laughs> Ocean's Eleven level yet. Plus, it's been done. Right? <laughs> um, and then they spent the rest of the weekend quoting that movie, and then by the end of the weekend, I was like, all right, well, I'm not pulling capers with people. <laughs> you all are fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you deal primarily with the steampunk universe i do um i am fairly unfamiliar with steampunk like i know what it is but i don't think i would have a steampunk cred card (laughs) so tell me a little bit about steampunk and why you love it so much Ooh, that's a loaded question well it is um it's a movement that's a little bit more like shares a lot more with say the gothic movement than with anything else in terms of the fact that it has an artistic component uh, a visual aesthetic a music component um as well as a literary component and then the interesting thing about steampunk is that it had a literary movement in the uh early 1970s, but the artistic side of the movement didn't really sprout up from that and didn't kind of really know about it. <laughs> so the uh, the aesthetic movement started to come on board and, and it is like drawn in various different parts of the culture in various different parts of the world. So for example, here I'm in, I'm in Northern California. It's very closely married to the maker movement and the burning man movement. Whereas um, in say in the North of the Pacific 
coast in Seattle, it's much closer to Gothic and it's much closer to the grunge movement. So, but it, it sort of sort of had this sort of resurgence in the early like two thousands, two thousand five. 2006. And at the same time, the second wave of steampunk authors were starting to rediscover their steampunk, what the literary side, which comes out of cyberpunk. Um, and then the two kind of, then conventions, steampunk conventions started to happen and everybody kind of started to realize that the, the, the other party, the other half existed. So, um, so this interesting, it is an interesting formation of, of this, of this, I guess movement is, or, it's it's difficult to to come up with the right vocabulary for it. So that's that's how steampunk happened, and and essentially it's it's a it's looking back at it's a retrofuturistic movement. So it's looking back at the future as the Victorians imagined it might be, uh, kind of Jules Verne and this idea that you could visit the moon in a hot air balloon is very. Um, willful for now for us now it's a willful misunderstanding of science <laughs> so we we know the way the world basically works but we defy it <laughs> we defy the laws of physics etc um and it's and then it's also branched out quite substantially since then so you also have on the literary side of it you have things like gaslight fantasy which are victorian era set um, fantasy books. So they're the Victorian era with magic or the Regency era with magic and then uh, or, or even a little bit earlier. And then you can also get uh, um, diesel punk, which is post-World War One, uh, steampunk and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, it's kind of <laughs> people really like to bandy the term around quite a bit. And, and the steam comes from the idea that the primary technology should be a reliance on steam technology rather than electricity. And the punk actually comes from the same usage as cyberpunk, which is uh, an alternate it's the different, different, not, not people with mohawks, but, but the literary definition of the word punk, which is kind of an alternate or uh, underground underpinning of the establishment. So those are, that's, that's, there's a, a breakdown okay. such as it is. And so my personal love of steampunk comes actually out of the aesthetic movement. So I've always been a writer and I've always written and read science fiction and fantasy primarily, but I, uh, I've always also really been into costuming and clothing. I used to cosplay quite a bit when I was uh, in my early teens as a fangirl, going to sci-fi cons and stuff. And um, I've always really loved the Victorian era and BBC costume dramas and all that kind of stuff. And so when Steampunk came along, it was this perfect melding of the two, where you could do these great recreation, partial recreations of Victorian outfits, but you weren't confined by the strictures of the time period. So you could make them very whimsical and silly and ridiculous. And the, it was the absurdity of Steampunk, like people creating teapots that came out of their hats and, you know, crazy automated arms that really drew me in. And I think really informed my writing in particular in a way that other steampunk authors' writings are not informed because if you come from the literary side, you tend to be a little bit more dystopian, a little bit darker. But because I came out of the aesthetic side, I'm, I'm kind of much more whimsical and, and silly, frankly. Okay, yeah. No, I can totally see that. And I want to say my first experience with steampunk or maybe this was even steampunk light was – probably 10 or 15 years ago when Disneyland first redid Tomorrowland. Ah, yeah. 
because it was like they went back to the 1800s or the early 1900s and looked at literature about how they thought the future was going to be. Yes. And remodeled Tomorrowland like that. And, of course, this is before it turned into, like, Star Wars Land. Yes. Or Star Wars Light Land, I should say. And it's it's really fun. Like, it's I find it incredibly exciting and enjoyable, because I'm a geek, to look at the way people or scientists attempted to explain the world during the Victorian times, but also how they thought the world, like, how it was going to evolve. Even reading early... Um, early science fiction is or even not that early even 1950s pulp sci-fi has has these crazy ideas about how the future is and some of them are quite predictive but then these these huge stumbling blocks about the future as well particularly in, in matters of culture like the imagination seems very adept at being flexible in terms of gadgetry and a little less flexible in terms of say gender dynamics <laughs> <laughs> Uh, especially when you're looking at somebody like I don't know Heinlein or Asimov. Well, yeah, it's it's we can we can conceive that steam or a hot air balloon will take us to the moon, but we can't conceive of you know solar power or gender <laughs> equality, <laughs> or even that women would not be wearing gloves. <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> things like that. The little things. The little things. Um. Although I will say, I want to say the best, the best example of steampunk I can say for anybody who has absolutely zero knowledge of the genre would be the time machine at the end of Back to the Future Part 3. When All he right. Time, when he time travels with the train. <laughs> Because it ran by steam. Yeah. Um, so, aside from steampunk... Yes. What is your favorite area of nerdiness? What is an area that really gets you going? Oh, my gosh. That's... Oh, that's really hard. Because I consider myself a nerd. So, my group of friends has have have had we're getting old so maybe we don't have it anymore but we used to have a pretty strict definition of what it means to be what it meant to be a geek versus a nerd versus a dork um and i consider myself quite definitely in the nerd camp because i have been and always will be like super academic um i have two master's degrees um my focus was a science scientific analysis side of um, artifacts. So um, I'm really like, I'm really a nerd. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a legit, um, you know, I used to wear the little white science jacket and the goggles and I used to do things under a fume hood and I used to press <laughs> buttons on machines that went beep, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. So my nerddoms tend to be pretty like heavily academic. So histories of certain time periods, uh, the like the Middle Kingdom, ancient Egypt. I'm a huge fan. Uh, the Etruscans. I love like I could like I could list off a ton. I love 
kind of early city state ancient Greece and I love you know specific battle Roman era battles you should hear me uh, I have a, a great friend Mike Cole who's a big military history guy like he and I will get into like Hannibal arguments <laughs> or something where we'll be like well this tactic was not as brilliant as people say uh, stuff like that so I certainly am, and then I'm, I'm super super nerdy about um costuming in particularly Victorian era clothing and costuming but also food I love historical food and historical recipes to the point where I've like translated from Latin tried to cook like some of the Apicus recipes (laughs) from Pompeii and (laughs) I had to grow the herbs because it turns out you can't really just go down to Trader Joe's and get lovage (laughs) and things like that so I get really nerdy about that and then (laughs) super geeky things like a thing that I will geek out about is travel hacks because I I have found myself in a career where I travel more than I ever thought I would even as an archaeologist. And so I'm obsessed with like packing and perfecting how to travel. So there's a, there's a short list of some of the stuff, but, but I am a total geek. So I just, I just get nerdy and geeky and dorky about everything. So I have Star Trek Next Generation in my backpacket. If you want to pull that one out. (laughs) (laughs) So this actually feeds into my next question is what is one thing that you're really into that others might find surprising or that you're like, uh, why can't this be more popular than it is? Oh my gosh. That's a really hard question because I do that all the time, often on Twitter, where I'll just be like, why isn't this a thing? Like I just discovered Kaya in uh, Singapore, which is coconut jam, which is the greatest. It's like a coconut lemon curd thing. It's made with egg. It's so good and i have no idea why it isn't everywhere like why did we not that strawberries bad but why did we settle on strawberry why can't we have coconut coconut jam should be everywhere so like (laughs) i was like why isn't this a thing uh so i do it i do do that all the time but um what would people be surprised about well i'm um I used to be a major social dancer. I did semi-competitive Lindy for a really long time. So um, I guess that's something that people might be really surprised about. So I can ballroom dance almost everything, uh, so long as someone leads me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I used to teach salsa. Hustle is my all-time favorite. I love the hustle. It's a really easy fun dance. So. So maybe that's surprising. (laughs) I wish we would have met last year because I got married in April and we did not know how to dance. Uh. Um, Which was fine because our song was not something that needed a whole lot of dancing. Um, The emotion was in the lyrics. (laughs) But it would have been nice to incorporate maybe some planned dips or spins or something. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that at the time when I was do- – so I, I started during the like the major wave of um, like swing. I guess West Coast swing was a really in, – in the 90s. That's when I, I really oh, started yeah. picking it up. And then my particular crew of like historical reenactment and two super nerds in this part of the world are just really into social dancing. So I just learned everything else uh, as a side effect of that. And my partner at the time was killer dancer. And that happened to be right at the time in my life where everybody was getting married. So like I couldn't have had the more perfect partner for that time of my life because 
all we did was dance. And we were like the first couple out on the dance floor. And I think there was a point where we were getting invited to stuff because people knew we would only would dance. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty, it was pretty fun. Um, yeah, it was actually just one of my most recent uh, steampunk events was Gaslight Gathering down in San Diego. And uh, that happens to be one of the steampunk events that has embraced swing music, which is great. You never know what kind of music you're going to get at a steampunk event. The East Coast events often have like the bigger name steampunk bands like Abney Park, and they tend to come out of goth. So, I mean, you can dance to it, but it's not it's not swing. Um, but down in down in Gaslight, they had swing and their band was great. And I, I made a I made a new friend and he and I were just dancing up storm. So that made me really, really happy. It was an unexpected <laughs> bonus to a, to a steampunk event. Um, yeah. So I will, in fact, one of the questions I often get um, on in like writing interviews is whether I listen to music when I'm writing. And the answer is no, because I, if I'm, if music's on, I'm, I'm probably going to be dancing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish everyone could do that. If like, if music comes on, start dancing. I yeah, w- why wouldn't you? It's really hard for me. Um, if you, if I am ever at one of those strange kind of events where there is sit down music, cause I'm like, why are we sitting? <laughs> <I don't, laughs> that's not working for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say normally now I listen to podcasts or audiobooks on my commute. Uh, my commute is an hour each way. Yep, that's uh, I hear ya. And but if I'm listening to music, I'm usually just jamming out in my car <laughs> to the point where other people we'll are look at you. staring at me. <laughs> and and like sometimes I'll have a passenger, normally my wife, and they'll be like, "You are causing a scene. Why are you doing this?" And I'm just like. I'm having the most fun in this traffic. (laughs) Everybody else might be judging me, but they secretly wish they were me. I I couldn't agree with you more. I I, (laughs) got to be careful when I'm listening to music in the car because it will influence how fast I go. Oh, right. (laughs) Right? If I put on like heavy metal or something, (laughs) yeah, it's not safe. (laughs) See, that's not a problem in LA because you can't go faster than two miles an hour. I'm in... um, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm San Francisco. Yeah. So uh, also bad. But uh, if I'm driving a long distance, it's out to the coast or up to the North Bay. And so you get out of traffic eventually. And then it's really easy to go way too fast, especially if you're <laughs> me and you grew up in the area. And I know all the back roads. And I have a, a zippy car. And I come out of being a motorcycle rider. So, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I might, I'm, I'm a bit of an aggressive driver. Uh, oh, for sure. There, there's a, there's another like weird unknown <laughs> factor. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about your books and some of the stuff that you have coming out. Um, do you have anything coming out soon? Did something just come out? Something just came out. So I just released a novella. So it's there. My novellas run about 40,000 words. So they're, you know, like half to a third of the size of a regular book. Um, and it's a, a length that I actually personally really love. Um, I'm a fast reader, but I do love something that I can like finish in an evening. And um, and I also really like sticking to a, a super tight, fast-paced story arc as well. So um, so I'm actually really loving 
writing them also. Um, and the most recent novella is is a lesbian romance, but it's it's set in my universe, so it's steampunk and it has a paranormal element. But it's primarily sort of a, a cozy, tense, slightly goth- gothic lesbian romance. Um, and it's partly because I have a lot of LBGTQ characters in my books, but for various reasons, they've never had the opportunity to be center stage. So I finally was like, well, I'll just start writing my own stuff and self-publishing my own stuff and sticking some of these characters, giving them their happy endings and giving them some some limelight. So. Excellent. Yeah. What's, what's it called? Called Romancing the Inventor. And uh, it's also a class romance. So it is a, a parlor maid who falls in love with a, with an upper class ro- um, inventor, uh, an evil, okay. geni- evil genius. Ooh. And then the parlor, parlor maid decides she must seduce her. So <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really cute. It's really fun. And it's one that my readers have been waiting for a really long time. The inventor character is a, is a real fan favorite. But you don't have to have read any of the other books to um, – to enjoy it, I don't think. Oh, excellent, excellent. And um, you said one of your main series was the Parasol Protectorate. That's right. Yeah. Um, can I just get a brief synopsis about that, <laughs> that series? Um, well, it is. Uh, it's <laughs> it's really hard to describe. <laughs> um, essentially, it's about a a character who is defined by the scientists as soulless basically means she has the innate ability to cancel out supernatural. Um, so, and in my particular universe, I took um, the gothic literature of the time and made those characters real. So the supernatural elements that exist in Victorian Lon- London are the supernatural elements that the Victorians wrote about. So it's primarily werewolves and vampires. And so what she can do is just touch them and turn them mortal. Um, and she's kind of known, she's very, her type is very rare, these, these soulless, and, um, she's sort of known about by the government, <laughs> but that's, uh, but that's about it. And, uh, and it's kind of the local supernatural enforcement know who she is. Um, and, but really in reality, she's just kind of a, a spinster and she's super practical and super aggressive. And, the and the, book starts with her accidentally killing a vampire in a library and then having to deal with the consequences. Well, that sounds very interesting. Um, sounds like something I would actually be into. Um, she accidentally killed the vampire? Accidentally, was it- yeah. He kind of turns up. She has retreated to the library because she is hungry and they're not serving decent food at the private ball that she's at, so she's gone to find some food and, and peace and quiet. And, uh, and a vampire unexpectedly attacks her. Um, and it's all very confusing because vampires usually don't do that kind of thing because they're responsible for all of the etiquette in Victorian society, all of the high collars and all of the politeness and inviting people in. It's all because vampires are integrated into Victorian society. So to have one unexpectedly attack you is, is shocking. And then the, um, when she touches him and he loses his fangs, um, he doesn't know what's happening and who she is. And that's also really unusual because generally vampires will be warned about Solus. And so, um, then she, she just sort of accidentally kills him and it becomes a big problem because nobody knows who this vampire is or where he's from or how he happened so it launches this this whole mystery and uh and she immediately goes uh neck and neck with the lead investigator on the case who is a uh 
who is a Scottish werewolf. And uh, and they yeah. and they have a very combative relationship. <laughs> that sounds very cool. I'm definitely gonna have to pick up a copy. It's really, uh, and you can read the first one, which is called Soulless. Um, obviously, after the titular character, uh, is works really well as a standalone. There are five in the series, but you can really just read the first one, um, and you you'll get a satisfying ending. You won't, you, there's no cliffhanger or anything. So don't worry. <laughs> um, so you like, you can, you can dip your toe in <laughs> with that series. See that's, that gets me all the more intrigued because I, I enjoy my self-contained novels, my self-contained stories. Me too. So. I really admire standalones a lot. Um, I think it's a, a lost art. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm a giant comic book geek and you uh-huh. said you, you had done a manga. Yes. Um, first, if you could tell me a little bit about the manga and then second, if you could tell me why you decided to take that avenue instead of a traditional novel. Well, the mangas are actually an adaptation of that first series. So there, okay. there are three mangas and it's the first three books. So the way the, the five book arc is written, the first one stands alone, but the first three also stand as a, as kind of a trilogy. And then, uh, the first two kind of, the, the final two kind of tie everything up. So what seems to have happened with most of my readership is, um, I have a really wide, because I do love capers so much, I have a real wide cast of pretty vibrant characters. And so people kind of fall in love with the whole character set in these books. And so they just keep reading because they want to know more, not just about Alexia and her crazy shenanigans, but also, you know, the other werewolves and the and the other vampires. Her best friend is this, this like, crazy flaming gay vampire who's been around forever um, and knows everybody and loves gossiping. And... Um, <laughs> And so it's just very, uh, it's very fun to play in the world. And so, uh, they came, they approached me to, to do the adaptation. I actually met, uh, the head of the, the press when I was at BEA launching the first book. And he, he kind of just sidled up to me and said, Hey, I really loved Solus. And I'm like, that's great. And he says, I'm actually a manga <laughs> publisher. And I was like, I love manga. Um, so we had a whole like squee over Black Butler, which is one of my favorite. And, um, and then he was like, you know, if you ever think about a graphic novel adaptation, and I was like, Oh, I'm so there. Um, and so we hit the, New York Times in a big way with my second and third book. And at that juncture, I turned around to my agent and I, I handed over Kurt's card. And I was like, you know, he said that he'd like to do a manga. And, and so, uh, um, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. So we went, we went back to him and he said, absolutely. Um, so it just kind of, I mean, and it's really unusual. It's really, really rare for, um, books to get manga adaptations like that outside of say the huge famous epics like you know game of thrones or something but um so i'm really really lucky and they gave me a fantastic artist who did a killer job on the things that worried me like the clothing (laughs) and um and the steam all the like nitty-gritty tiny details of a steampunk world where you know you do hyde park but there but there are dirigibles floating above hyde park and mono wheels and like crazy steam prams (laughs) strolling through this park and and she did a wonderful job of kind of envisioning that and putting but still putting that 
that manga style and stamp on it, which of which I'm I'm a big fan. So I was it was great. It was a great experience and I loved it. That's excellent. And just because what's the point of talking about this if people don't know where to get them? Oh. Where, where can people <laughs> pick up uh, pick up these books? All right. So the Parasol Protectorate, the first one is called Soulless. And most of the time, uh, I recommend people start with that one. Although you can pick up um, – if if you're – if you have a, a, a girl, a young girl in your life who, who you want to empower and make strong and – Give her something fabulous to read, then the finishing school books are great. The first one of that is Etiquette and Espionage. But most people start with Soulless, and the manga is also called Soulless, just to make things easier. <laughs> so um, you can find both of those. And you and they're they're you know all over the place anywhere. Books are sold mainly. Um, if they're not there, you can just go up and say, Gail Carragher, Soulless, and they'll type it in and probably be able to get it for you. Uh, or you can get them online. Uh, I'm assuming yeah. Amazon? Oh, Yeah. All right. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Nook, they're electronic, they're um, paperback. The um, young adult and my new um, adult series are also in hardback, so. All right. And everyone, as everyone knows, I will include a link to your author page at Amazon, so hopefully they can find everything. Yes, I'm diligent about my author page, so uh, I'm always... In there, they, Amazon has something called Author Central, which allows you to manage them all, and I'm always in there. You can also find me in, I guess, about 18 different languages, and many oh, wow. of them are also on Amazon if you want to go through a third-party seller. So if you'd like to read in French or German or <laughs> Portuguese, um, Turkish, I just got my first um, Turkish translation, which was pretty exciting. And the Japanese ones are adorable. They're the cutest little books with the most (laughs) adorable little covers. I love my Japanese translations. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Audiobook or no? Yeah, all of the – all of my traditionally published stuff, so all three of the big series are in audio, and I have great narrators, like really killer narrators. Um, I have a woman named Emily Gray for my first series for the Parasol Protectorate and then someone named Moira Quirk who does the Finishing School and the Custard Protocol books and they're awesome. I have a lot – I have a, they're both British and I have a wide range of British accents and they do all of them which is, which is really good. Moira um, Quirk? Yeah. And yes, if you are of the Nickelodeon age, yes. <gasps> I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> did you know she did audiobooks? <laughs> no. Yep. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so lucky. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. More, I, I know that name. I know that name. <laughs> oh man. Let's go to the leaderboard, Mo. <laughs> um, if, 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 okay, first of all, if people are still listening to me gush about Moira Quirk and you don't know who she is, everybody, she was the referee on Guts on Nickelodeon. So just, just Google that now and your life will be complete. <laughs> uh, uh, that's amazing. And now um, I can take a pretty educated guess as to your age. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So, and she, let me just say, she's she is a she's a really great narrator. So, my uh, novellas aren't available in audio yet, but the first one should be at the beginning of next year. So, um, 
because I have to do those on my own and uh, I'm not going to read them myself. So I had to go out and find a producer and then hire a voice talent and all that sort of stuff. So it's taken me a little while to do those. But yeah, I love I love audio. I grew up on audiobooks. So um, I, I'm definitely trying to make sure everything I do is available in audio. Now, um, that's, uh, I have this hour commute, so I'm actually doing a lot more audio books and I know all my listeners have heard me say this all the time, but I have trained myself to listen to podcasts and audio books at double speed. I do that too. Oh, you and really? me. It's oh. not that uncommon. And you know, part of the reason why Are you California ish. Yes. Okay. Los Angeles. Yeah. So we're, as a rule, especially compared to the South, super fast talkers. And um, the thing about audiobooks is the speed at which they're read is much slower than you or I tend to engage in conversation. And so uh, it's not uncommon to need to listen. I listen at time and a half to almost to all of my podcasts and double on some of them, especially the ones all the UK. Cause I'm like, get to the point. <laughs> I'm right there. I'm listening. Um, yeah. So I hear ya. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm going, to, I'm going to look for solace on this app I use right now. Have you heard of, um, overdrive? Of course. Yeah. Oh, see, like, this is why I love meeting new people, because I have been raving about Overdrive for, like, <laughs> 10 months to a year now, and you're the first person who I haven't introduced the app to. That's that's rough. <laughs> I, I totally need to get them to sponsor this podcast. You totally should. Because I, like, seriously, them and uh, Moira Quirk, I will gush about all the time. <laughs> So we, we in this in this interview we have uncovered one of your nerddoms. Oh gosh, um, old school Nickelodeon television shows. No, um, <laughs> no. Um, one of my nerddoms that I'm really really into right now is I just finished the Runaways comic book series by Brian K. Vaughn. I've not heard of it. Um, it was back in. 2005 it first came about and then it was canceled and restarted hmm. it wasn't really restarted but it was like brought back who's it out of uh marvel marvel um and it was really good joss whedon did an arc um he actually did a steampunky type arc for huh. them um so but- my like deep dive uber 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 fangirl geekdom is the new warriors comic book which oh, is yeah. an early 90s marvel teen spinoff based out of were they la or something um yeah it was a hard i used to show up to the comic book store to pick up the latest issue of new warriors it fizzled out eventually but um and via that i became aware of all the rest of the marvel universe but like really the only comic book i ever obsessed about as a kid was was new warriors and then recently i read rat queens which i really enjoyed although i was a little disappointed in the most recent one that came out so but um i'm oh no i i i have the first two trades of rat queens um i'm a little bit behind so i haven't 
like actually read them yet, but it's definitely something that I've heard has been really good. It's great. I, the first couple are killer. They're really good. Have you yeah. read Squirrel, Squirrel Girl? No. That's another one that just came on my radar. And that one I have the first trade of and I'm sort of sitting there thinking about it. I, I haven't read it yet but it's waiting for me it's like (laughs) i'm mostly an e-reader or an audio person at this juncture so um comic book trade books are the only thing i buy like physical copies really anymore yeah um and that's just Uh, because i haven't found a i haven't had a good way to consume them yeah i'm the same way i am um I, I will usually like, I'll listen to my audiobooks on my commute, but like, if like, I'll try to read a half hour before bed every night. Mm-hmm. And that has to be like, not a Kindle. Not oh, it phone. has to be a proper book. Has to be a proper book. That's old school, man. Um, you know, book smell. Yes. You and an enormous number of people uh, take that camp. Um, <laughs> I, however, who travel a ridiculous amount, am addicted to my Kindle because I have thousands of books with me at all times. And and see, I like I'm planning a trip coming up in the next month or two, and I'm sure I will load a couple of books on there uh, just to make sure you know I don't lose them. Because I mean, I can go through a book. I'm a fairly slow reader, but I can still finish a book in, on like a week vacation. So yeah. I might want to start something else. Um, I have kept you about an hour. So oh. I want to begin to do a little bit of a wrap up. All right. Well, the time has flown. Right. It has been wonderful. Please feel free to come back anytime. Especially oh, I'd if you love have, to. Yeah. Especially if you have a new book coming out. Cause there's so much in this conversation, um, <laughs> that we can continue. And by the way, when this posts, um, I am going to be tagging, um, yourself and Moira Quirk, um, <laughs> just so she knows how much I love her. I had the biggest <laughs> crush on her when I was in like elementary school. No joke. Um, but do you have a go-to resource or an app on your phone, um, or a tablet or something that helps you fulfill your goals either when you were dancing or now with your writing? In terms of like, um, Hmm, that's a hard question. So I use um, Evernote quite a bit, but I, I wouldn't say it's the best tool for organization. Um, what else? Do I, and I use Google Calendar pretty much for <laughs> for everything. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really have anything to like super recommend that's outside of the norm. Um, yeah, sorry. That's fine. No worries. I love no worries. Pinterest. I think Pinterest for me <laughs> is a is a but as a resource because I do write a lot of stuff set most of my stuff is set in the Victorian era or in and around the Victorian era. I I've used Pinterest quite a bit to gather just images of London from different time periods or images of Egypt or or you know anywhere all around the world from like the from the 1850s to the 1890s and it just for as a writer it's really really helpful to have a photograph to draw on when i'm describing a place or a time um as opposed to a written description because that way when I'm writing the description of that place, I can do it through my character's lens rather than sort of secondarily filtered through um, someone else, either 
a primary source or a secondary source describing it to me. So um, I have been that I do recommend that if you are someone who's writing or researching a specific time period, there are some oddly good resources on Pinterest, and you can you know create your little boards and, and go from there. Excellent, excellent. I do love Pinterest, and Dumbbells and Dragons does have a Pinterest page. Oh, look at you go. I know, right? I'm on every social media, even the ones I tend to not use. Me too. <laughs> I'm on so many. But they all like have their different component and fun and <laughs> so Yes, absolutely. And speaking of the social medias, the social mediums, <laughs> um where can people connect with you? Well, like we just said, I'm pretty much everywhere. So um and I am a pretty diligent about being an early adopter so i'm gail carriger pretty much everywhere either all one word or if you search it and then twitter or whatever you will you will find me that way and it's g-a-i-l-c-a-r-r-i-g-e-r um but i also do use the different platforms kind of differently so if you're a writer who wants to kind of relate to me about writing or um a fan like i will use twitter to run like micro questions (laughs) you know where i'll be writing something and suddenly i be like, if you have mages in your culture, would you rather the government kept them hidden or <laughs> had them like documented? <laughs> you know, go like <laughs> for the next two hours, everybody gets to vote. Um, that kind of thing. So I do that sort of thing on Twitter all the time, and and Twitter is the, I'm I'm pretty much the most like back and forth active on Twitter. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. I have a page, and there's a real chatty fan group where they talk about. Um, Mostly a lot of stuff to do with Octopi and the Victorian era and steampunk and stuff like that. But I, I'm on both those places a lot too. Um, yeah, and I have Instagram and, like we said, Pinterest and all the all the things. I'm even on Google Plus, although not very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, awkwardly, I think so am I, but I don't think anybody <laughs> uses that except people who work at Google. Yeah, I jump onto Reddit occasionally too. I like the R Fantasy forum. Um, but I'm not super active there. Um, I would say I am probably the most active on Twitter and Facebook. Um, yeah, I think those are the big two that everyone's pretty much uh, the easiest ones to get on and, yeah. and interact with. And I'm on, I mean, and it's also the type of consumption. Like, like you have a, you can get a real back and forth going on those two venues. Whereas I find, say, Tumblr and Instagram and. Pinterest are a little bit more passive. Like you just sort of pin the images or post the images or repost the images and stuff. And it's great if you're like me and you're on there kind of gathering data or inspiration. But it isn't as great if you want to actually interact with somebody. Okay. And finally, uh, what parting advice do you have for everyone out there listening to the podcast? (laughs) Now, you warned me that I would get this question at the end. And so it's going to be kind of banal, but I really, really believe it. And that parting advice is you have to finish what you start. Does you no good if you don't finish it. So you have to finish it. Whatever it is, finish it. And every, like, I I, I really do love that. Well, and the, the other side of this is a piece of advice that I am passing on from uh, your fellow podcaster, the amazing Mer Lafferty, who runs the I Should Be Writing podcast. And she always says, you must give yourself permission to suck. And I, I really believe that, too, because, the, like, the perfect is the enemy of completion, frankly. <laughs> so, no, and, and 
And that Give totally- your permission to suck and then finish it. And and what you'll have is something that's sucky, but it's done. And then here's the great secret. You just fix it later. And that <laughs> – um, I, I got two two stories. A, that brings us full circle to the, you know – you know, you don't need to be, you know, you don't need the perfect plan. Good plan today is better than a perfect plan. Never. Yep. Um, second, um, a very good friend of mine, when he was writing his dissertation, um, normally it was, he, he told me the story the day before it was due at 10 PM, he would sit down with a bottle of Jack Daniels and a pack of cigarettes and by 6 a.m., a chapter would be done, the bottle would be empty, and the cigarettes would be gone. So it's like, it's get something down, fix it later. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. But then I'm also, I think, pretty common with a lot of authors, which is that the rough draft, just getting the words onto the page is always the hardest part. And I think for a lot of authors, that's the case. So I just have to like convince myself to do it and knowing I can just edit it later um, is the key. Yeah. So do it. Just do do it. it. The world is full of people who don't succeed because they just can't finish. (laughs) That ain't that the truth. (laughs) Um, Always be closing. Um, I got to say, Gail, I have loved talking with you for this last hour. It's been a um, real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being such an open and amazing guest. I've really loved it. I need to throw a shout out uh, to our friend Bethany. Who yes, who sent us all. She is awesome. Uh, love Bethany. Bethany, I really hope you listen. I, you haven't <laughs> told me you listen. I know you know of my podcast, but um, thank you so much, Bethany. Love you. Gail, it has been such a pleasure. I, if there's anything I can ever do um, with you or for you, please do not hesitate to send me an email. Um, and a big thank you to your amazing assistant Kelly as well. Yes, the 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 amazing Kelly, without whom I would not make it through the day. <laughs> um, thank you again, and I want to say to everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We will absolutely catch you on the next one and work out nerd out. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.